Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Hi, Dr. Laprine. Are you there? Hello, Dr. Kelly slash Behavior Babes. <laughs> or we can just say Amanda and Amanda, whatever works for you. Thanks for joining yes. us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Can you start everyone off by just doing a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm Amanda Lapreme. I got my doctorate in behavior analysis at Simmons College with uh, Amanda. And um, I currently serve as a program director uh, for the Center for Children with Special Needs based out of Glastonbury, Connecticut, where I um, provide leadership and administrative support to our team of 20 BCBAs as well as um, administrative support in school districts where our consultation team provides consultation. Excellent. And we're going to talk a little bit today about the school consultation sort of model. And one of the things you had shared with me was your interest in building capacity and in transferring the skills of, you know, taking that scientific approach and look at uh, responding to behavior and education uh, into the school setting. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you define that or how you envision that occurring? Sure. And I think that, frankly, I learned about capacity building when I went to the Center for Children with Special Needs, and it was a real difference from the way I had previously provided consultation when I was working um, in other places. So previously, I think the approach to consultation was going in and working with a teacher, either around a specific child, a behavior assessment, behavior plan, program book, and or working with the teacher around their classroom, but it was much more so as a BCBA, I would come in, you know, give a variety of strategies, answers, behavior plans, train, kind of walk out, and then come back in to check in on things. And that's one model, but capacity building is a whole other model where you're really looking to teach the skill set and work in collaboration with an educational team, with a case manager, not that they're then acting as a behavior analyst or outside of the scope of their practice. That's, that's not capacity building. But capacity building is teaching the different repertoires and considerations that we do such that the system can sustain itself and it doesn't need the BCBA there all the time for answers. So the BCBA still would maintain their expertise, their direct consultation that is behavior analytics, but it would be really teaching the case manager, the speech and language pathologist, to also be trainers and overseers of those systems in the absence, such that, again, the system can really live for itself and become more proficient, such that the consultation is needed to a lesser degree, if that makes sense. Of course it does. Yeah, I mean, I used to always have the phrase of, like, our job is to work ourselves out of the job because it pushes us to be efficient and it would probably never be possible to not have somebody in need that we're there to support, but it allows us to triage, if you will, and, and you know, not be there just putting out little fires, but, but being there to be a resource to the teams. And, and uh, I heard you say that. Um, what do you see as some of the, the biggest challenges to establishing capacity and to, to building some of these skills in the school settings? I think time is one of them. I, I think we all know that the time to oversee and case manage is, is rare and hard to come by, right? 
So to also be able to get that time to sit and build the capacity is, is something that really, I think, needs to be from administration down agreed upon, that this is a priority of the system, that if we invest the time in our teachers, our case managers, our paraprofessionals to um, ensure that we're spending time with them to build the skills and not just giving the answers, we're going to get more bang for our buck down the road, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? What do we do when we can't find the time? Are there ways that you've seen teams or people, teachers get really creative or analysts get creative with that? Of course, because let's be honest, like the time is wonderful, but I always feel like we start a school year like, okay, here's the time we're going to get and dedicate toward this, and then maybe we get a twelfth of it within, you know, the first two weeks of school because things come up. So one of the most exciting things I think about capacity building is really the working together. So a teacher may have to take on, you know, providing instruction or staffing at a time where perhaps they were supposed to be doing planning or meeting with one of our BCBAs to work toward capacity building. So we use every single moment in that way, right? So if you're working with a kid, I'm going to come in. We're going to implement together. I'm going to model. You're going to model. We're going to have a feedback session. You know, really making sure every moment is built towards that vision of problem-solving, learning together versus me saying, go do this, okay, that sounds good, and then I'll come back. You know, I think it's truly about using each moment as a teaching moment for here's why I'm doing this or why I'm recommending this, not just do it. You know what I mean? Of course. We had um, another conversation uh, with Dr. Becca Tag, and we were talking about, um, you know, again, like that, that strategizing and, and all the tips and techniques and the skills and the principles of behavior analysis that apply to, um, you know, collaboration and consultation, right? Like pairing, rapport building, shaping, fading, yeah. modeling. And one of the statements she had made is sometimes we're really good about being able to implement those principles and techniques with the people who we're conceptualizing as our clients without realizing, like, those same skills work with the adults in our environment. And when we're in a consultative capacity, this the teacher can be our client, um, if you will. So, yeah, getting buy-in, having, you know, uh, reciprocal interactions, having a feedback, feedback loop. So, essentially, a lot of behavioral skills training, which I know other people who are listening are going, oh, I do that, I know what that is, but they may not be taking it into staff training. Um, having the ability to develop a rapport, to um, establish yourself as credible and effective is something that also takes skill and takes time. How have you seen yourself um, evolve in that way in your capacity as a behavior analyst over time? I think that's something that's changed a lot in my practice. And as you were talking moments ago about, you know, all of the different ways in which we, we do this type of consultative work and how it is consistent with other things we do within behavior analysis with maybe children or adults we work with, I was thinking about this question because most importantly, I think, is to assess motivation and reinforcers for the individuals we're working with. And I don't necessarily mean the children or adults. I mean, to your point, the teachers, the administrators, the staff in our classrooms. And I think that is what is different about my approach to approaching consultation and having people see me as an expert. Because I used to go in, you know, shooting off answers. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And instead of me being seen as credible, I was kind of seen as bossy and not taking into account the opinions and the culture and the thoughts of the system. So what I do now 
is I spend time talking and listening and watching. I, you know, I do, of course, tackle those immediate emergencies and things you really need to first. Um, and I do it in as thoughtful a way as possible while still doing this ground laying work of assessing motivation and considering reinforcers. But I spend time getting to know the culture in the system, finding out what's meaningful and important, and then helping to make gains toward those as quickly as possible such that the system sees the BCBA as valuable and um, able to really help them achieve their hopes and dreams, whether it be for their classroom, their professional development, their, their students, and or everything, you know? In situations where you see a lot of administrative support, um, what kinds of characteristics do you notice in those administrators that make them, you know, essentially such good leaders for their schools? Can you speak to that? Yes, that is an, an excellent question. The administrative and administrative qualities that I've seen are administrators who are looking to further the development of their teachers and the quality of the services in their classroom. So it's, you know, they're not the ones that necessarily, though of course it's always a consideration, are thinking of, you know, how many hours of VCBA consult, like is this teacher, you know, working with this child enough that I can move a para somewhere else? Not that those conversations don't come up, but at the forefront, the conversations are how do we ensure the best evidence-based practice for our students such that they are getting intensive early intervention meaningful inclusion, and that my, our teachers, our paraprofessionals, are executing the best work possible and continuing to grow. Because when the conversation comes back to that, right, how am I making my staff love their work, wanting to be here, continuing to grow, and the students getting, you know, the best of the best, together then we can always land in the same place because we have the kids and the, the staff at our forefront of our conversation. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's really, I hear a lot at meetings and in different states, but I hear some of the same statements made, like, we're all here for Susie, and we're all going to work together. And sometimes I think, um, you know, are we trying to convince each other or ourselves about that? But when it's said, it is really important for people um, to kind of think about it, like, wait a second, that's, that is who we are here for, that is what's going on. And when there's moments of disagreement, um, I think it's important for people to remember that we are kind of striving for that shared goal. So even if you think that there's a different path to get there, if we can first start from the place of we're all trying to head in the same direction, I think that can really humanize the, the process. And listening, you talked about listening, and Skinner has, you know, listener behavior as, as something that needs to be uh, in our repertoire and uh, under good audience control. and. I, I appreciate that you are willing to share with us, you know, sort of how you used to go in a little bit more, um, just firing off those answers a little bit more of an ambush, and now you're really there to kind of take a, you know, a step back and listen and articulate the thoughts that you have. Um, and so you're you're seeing yourself as more receptive, and I think, or being more received, well received, and. Um, and, you know, I, I think some people might say, well, I have to hurry up and get in there. These behaviors are so intense. I, I can't wait around for someone to, you know, come, come to seeing things my way. And what I kind of got from what you were saying is you, you get to that end goal a lot faster um, when people feel like there's a conversation. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that. And, and I think with all of this, first off, there is a balance. There is, to your point, a shaping process. 
um, in emergency situations with severely dangerous behavior or things that we need to fix immediately, we got to fix those immediately. And we have to do that with the knowledge we have. Um, and we do our best, right, to consider the culture and the opinions as part of all of our assessments and processes. But we do that. But that, I think, is different than a long-term vision towards consultation and capacity building. And I think in our minds, it's important that we actually separate that, that we say, here is my kid-specific work, right, my behavior assessments, my, my program development, my work with the teacher around that, and then here is the capacity building endeavors that, yes, aligns with that and layers on top of it, but is its own process. And to your point, you know, it is listening, but it is also I think about that at the start of any consultation. I think of where a teacher is, where their staff are, where an administrative team is, where the classroom is within the school building, where the gen ed team is in terms of understanding the, the kids, the adolescents that we work with and moving towards that. You know, and I, I craft out in my own mind sort of where would it, where would I want the team to be? And then I talk to them and I find out where they want to be. And together we create a vision. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a lot like saying when I say to parents, uh, you know, I want your child involved in the development of the behavior plan, and I want their opinions and their input and their buy-in. And they'll say, well, he's going to want chocolate cake for breakfast. And they'll say, well, we're still we're still going to put those <laughs> parameters in place, like let him know how much flexibility he has. And I think that, like you said, it's a balance. It's a balance between giving all of the freedom um, in one direction and recusing ourselves from sh and the team from, you know, having our expertise, that's not what we're looking for. But we're looking to be seen as a voice, as um, a, a partner um, in that process. And so I really appreciate you joining us today to talk to us about your interest there and in the work that you've done. Um, can you just clarify when you're talking about schools, are you talking about work in private schools, public schools, both settings? Where has so, your experience been? Our, my experience personally has been in a variety of settings. The consultation that we do now um, that we oversee is in public schools. Um, public schools in a variety of different types of locations with a variety of different types of resources. So the generality of these strategies lives, lives on um, regardless. Do you know what I mean? And it is to your point, it is because it is based on the principles of behavior, behavior skills training, um, organizational behavior management. It's really taking the best of all of those different areas um, as we look toward, you know, changing systems, which is exciting because it's funny that you said it, but we have the same quote. When I came to, you know, the Center for Children with Special Needs, the conversation was we would love to eventually one day work our way out of a job. It's different because we always hope that the districts we work in will hire their own BCBA, that we train in this sustainment of, of sustainable teams. Um, but that is the same quote. So it's funny that we have IOA on that, you know? Wow, and not too unusual. We're both named Amanda, have our PhDs <laughs> in the same year from the same university. And, you know, we strive to learn more about the science. And so we've talked a lot about today interestingly enough, the seven dimensions of behavior analysis. We talked about social significance, right? And we talked about being uh, conceptually systematic. And we, you talked a lot about um, having, you know, um, generalization and external validity. And so it kind of makes me chuckle, I think, when we can have these conversational and sometimes advanced discussions. And it does go right back down to the basic defining characteristics of our science. So 
Um, thank you again for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And do you have any last, like, parting bits of advice or tips for anybody listening before we go? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that I always take a chuckle back at the, what I said to you, you know, when I first walked in as a BCBA and I had all the answers and ABA would save the world and this was the only way to do it. And in my heart, you know, I still fully believe ABA will save the world. Um, but we save the world best when we're part of a team that is just as invigorated by the work, and we are truly working together toward a vision. So I think that um, that's my parting thing. You know, think about your role on the team and save the world by making friends and having them be just as excited about what we do because we really can impact so much. Excellent, Amanda. And for anyone listening who's interested in more information about behavior analysis, check me out at www.behaviorbabe.com.